Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. One time for your brain cells. One time for your cerebrotonics. We're going to get all upon it. So sit back, pour yourself a gin and tonic. Because I'm about to relate something supersonic. Check it out. So this is <laughs> the second part of uh, the second clip from my interview with, uh, with Andrew, with, uh, Andrew uh, Levine. Uh, talking about my experience with with mental illness, what psychiatrists called a psychotic break, a psychotic episode. Um, so we, we talk a bit about um, the the term mental illness, psychotic break, spiritual uh, awakening, um, and discuss why why those terms are a little problematic. Um, and we also uh, talk about the change that went on in my thinking, and I discuss some some possible explanations for why these experiences happen to me um so uh remember you can find andrake on on steam it uh steam it with a double e dot com uh slash at andrake a-n-d-r-a-r-c-h-y of course you can find us on steam it as well at paradise dash paradox so let's get into it Previously on the Androarchy Show. So you're talking about my article about uh, mental illness, or how to how to uh, take advantage, or, or what to learn from um, from a mental illness, or from a from an unusual state of mind. We could say it's not an illness because it's not like there's a lesion, there's no abrasion, there's there's nothing physical that you can identify. They don't do that. They analyze it through behavior. So it's it's more of a behavioral issue than than a, a physical issue. People said, "Well, we have this we have this theory or this hypothesis, and it seems reasonable, um, and you know we expect the data the, to be filled in later. We'll color color it in later, um, and you know they keep expecting that, but that's not necessarily what's happened. That's just what everyone's assuming. The fact is." Um, like a lot of these things uh, people would describe as delusions, but some, some of the things that happened, I would say, were actually true. Um, it's just that I got a little carried away um, and, and, uh, and started to think, well, if, if, you know, if these things that I've been taught uh, are firm and are laws and are, you know, can't, can't happen are actually happening, then I have to assume that everything I know is wrong, which was, it sent me a little bit over the edge. Did we cover the specific experience itself? Like, how long was this psychotic break? Is there a better term that you would use for it? Um, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> like, we, we did... Um... Hallucinatory experience, you know, spiritual experience... Um, yeah, a, a spiritual awakening, I guess. But that, but the the problem is, uh, I guess all of these terms have have their own problems. Because if I say it's psychotic, that implies it's it's purely negative and purely delusional. Whereas if I say it's spiritual, uh, a spiritual awakening, then that implies then it then it's pure and beautiful. Which you know, these experiences, of course, they they cause a lot of suffering, um, and that's uh, that's. That's part of it. Um, so I don't know if there's there's any specific term that that really encapsulates it. Maybe we could say something like a, a, 
a shamanistic uh, awakening, something like that. Okay, well, I think that brings up an interesting point, uh, something I was wondering when I was thinking about this interview, which is, is there something that instigates an experience like this? Is this something that can happen to you randomly? Is this something you're afraid will happen in the future or at risk of, of suffering from in the future? Or is it a resolved issue? Right. Yeah, great question. So the the thing is, um, I don't entirely understand why this this uh, this happened to me in the beginning. Um, uh, so there's, I I can't exactly answer why um, you know if it might happen again. But the thing is, I do know how to deal with the consequences much better. Um, so, so being more centered, um, knowing more about meditation and about logic than I mentioned in the article, uh, that helps me know um, that just because I think something that that uh, I shouldn't accept that as truth, which is not, <laughs> which is a lesson that you know I, I I had to learn the hard way. And that's a um, lesson that every person can learn from, <laughs> which is which is fascinating, right? I mean, like. And maybe, again, that's part of the reasoning for uh, neurochemistry on such a spectrum is because we feel like, oh, well, our perception of reality seems to be approximately true. So whatever I think is reality, whatever, whatever beliefs I have are probably true, when in reality, all of our beliefs are probably irrational. And so we should always be be skeptical. Sorry, sorry to go off on that tangent. Yeah, there. no, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, it's like uh, Robert Anton Wilson said, uh, "I don't have any beliefs, but I do have quite a few suspicions," which I, I think is a healthy way to to look at the world. You asked me about the causes, so I'd, I'd like to address that more thoroughly. Please. The cause of of such an experience is this shamanistic or spiritual awakening. Um, it's it's difficult to answer. I don't think I'll, I'll ever know entirely why such a thing happened. Um, but um, we can look at a few different models and, and try to try to get an approximation. Um, so, of course, if I go to the psychiatrist and ask him, uh, well, okay, so you said I had a psychotic break, but why? Um, and I guess they would give that answer about brain chemistry, or maybe they would more honestly say, I don't know. Um, but I, I don't think we would um, get much inquiry there because it doesn't seem to be that that's, that's a, a question that psychiatrists ask. It's, it's more about what happens, like how do we treat it once it does happen rather than how, why, why it happens in the first place. So that, maybe they, they should be asking that. Um, another thing, an, another model um, that, that I thought was a, li a little more helpful um, is if you look at it from a kind of yogic perspective. Um, so I say that, okay, so, so for, for some reason I, I, I started having all this extra energy and um, I started to dance and I started to, to have increased empathy um, and my drawing ability increased and, and the, these other th things that happened which you know, in the end were positive and my, my, my thinking changed, especially this, this one, my thinking changed from uh, more linear to being more conceptual, thinking in, in concepts rather, in, rather than in a straight line. So 
rather than thinking purely in, in forms of uh, logic or like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, uh, I, can, I can look at something and get the whole I- idea of it. Do you see what I mean? Yes, yes. I think that's how I tend to think, by the way. I think that's naturally yes. how it's more, it's very, abs- I'm very good with abstract concepts. I, I've always just been naturally, like I was talking about this the other day, like organic chemistry is always viewed as one of the hardest subjects in universities. And, and that was one of the few subjects that really came naturally to me. And it was because I was really able to just imagine the interactions of the particles as if they were like sentient beings. And I was wow. trying to tutor people. I was tutoring in it because I did well in it. And, uh, and I was trying to explain to them like this particle likes this type of particle because it's big or, you know, or because it, you know, it's attracted to these properties in the other ones. And I was the worst tutor ever because I didn't realize that's not how people think, but please go on. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's of course in, in science and in computer programming, people gender generally think in more linear fashions. And so, so there can be that kind of clash, but that's interesting that, that it would give you an advantage in that area. This explanation that I had was that, that spontaneously my, my Kundalini, and that is, was one of the, the most powerful energies in, in, in the body or in the soul from this, from this yoga perspective. Um, it lies at the base of the spine. And when it combines with, with, uh, the energy at the, the top of um, your head, the, the crown chakra, and I'm, I'm, I might be getting this wrong because I haven't read about this for many years, but but this is the basic story. So so these two energies combine, and it's kind of like this uh, this nuclear reaction. It's, it it creates this huge amount of energy in the body, and and yeah, releases these abilities. But again, this this explanation only gets me to a certain point because I have to say, well, hang on, why why did I have this? this spontaneous um, thing within me. It's not like, I mean, I might have been doing a little bit of meditation, but um, if you want to release the kundalini, it's supposed to take years and and years of of, um, discipline to do it. Uh, So that explanation still only gets me to a certain point. Sorry, before you go on, I just want to make a point because for anybody who might be watching this, um, I just want to make the point that I mean, I'm a very skeptical, scientific, objective, evidence-based person, but to kind of reinterpret or reframe what you just said, what I would say is that much of our body is still very much a mystery to ourselves. And so these words that you're using, while they might not be scientific, they're just words that people throughout time have developed to attempt to describe the mysterious events that we find going on through our body. And like, so for example, you know, somebody watching might be like, whoa, why aren't you calling them out on these bullshit energies? You know, (laughs) and there's a fairness to that. But my response would be that, well, there's no, what other words do we have to describe these events? You know, what we had were imbalances, mental illness, many concepts which are just falling apart at the seams now. All of the, <laughs> right? All the people on the cutting edge of these sciences are going, yeah, we thought we had a framework, but it, it, it doesn't really work. We thought we had pills that cured people 
and mysteriously they've been doing worse and worse against placebos over time. I don't even know how you do that, but like when you go and look at at drugs that used to be staples, like Prozac, I'm pretty sure that Prozac now is having a lot of trouble beating placebos. And Prozac was seen as the first line of defense against, I think, multiple mental illnesses. And now we're seeing that it's not beating sugar pills, which means it doesn't do anything except give you horrible side effects, which isn't something people really seem comfortable admitting yet, even though it's science. That's science. Yeah. I mean, it says so on the pack. I mean, you you buy these things and it says possible side effects, suicidality, suicidal ideation, and that sort of thing. Uh, That's scary. Especially when it doesn't do anything. And now people might be saying, hey, that's really a dangerous thing to say, and obviously I'm not a medical professional. But I'm just restating what it means to not be able to beat a placebo. If you cannot beat a placebo, you are by definition not doing anything because placebos actually doing harm. Yeah. Placebos by definition don't do anything. Yeah. Except give, give our bodies an excuse to, to try to heal something like that. From that framework, all, uh, all a psychoactive drug that does not beat placebos does is give you negative side effects or not, Mm. but they most, but most of them generally do give you some negative side effect. On that point, um, if, if we wanted to take something like this, this Kundalini, um, Kundalini awakening and, and jam it into a, a psychiatric model, we'd talk about something like, um, I'm trying to remember the term, but it's something like adrenal overdrive or it's like where your adrenal gland gland just goes crazy for a few months and then it burns out um, and and has a problem generating adrenaline after that for, you know, for a while. 